Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This week, my opening talking points will discuss two important topics. The first is about the futile pursuit of perfection when investing. Despite what many investors believe, perfection is not something to strive for and is and good enough and good enough tends to be the right approach. I'll explain what I mean by that shortly. My next set of talking points cover what I have termed the kiddish club portfolio. We'll outline how not to make your financial decisions sensibly and what not to invest in. Sometimes avoiding big mistakes is just as important as making the proper investment decisions. As always, I will spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions. With that, let's jump into this week's talking points. First, let's discuss the futile pursuit of perfection. The quest for perfection is the enemy of progress in many facets of life, including personal finance. I'll go through some areas in this pursuit of perfection that actually prevent people from pulling the trigger on a financial strategy. Investors should be aware of these traps since they are inhibiting their ability to achieve their financial objectives. The first is waiting for the optimal time to invest. A prospective investor called me earlier this year and confessed that she really needs to start investing since most of her wealth outside of her business is sitting in cash. After inquiring as to how much cash was sitting on the sideline, she told me about seven years worth of expense money. Yes, seven years. She said, I'm just not comfortable with what's happening in the market. I'm waiting for things to settle down. While keeping that level of cash on hand is an extreme example, it is common for people to want to wait for an ideal time to put their money to work. In truth, there is never a perfect time to invest. There will always be some type of turmoil in the world that gets people nervous. War, geopolitical risks, market gyrations, increasingly high stock valuation, a global pandemic, and more. Trying to time the market for the best entry point could just lead to years of waiting. Next one I have seen is searching for the perfect investment. Every investment carries risk. Sometimes investments work out and sometimes they don't. The purpose of taking risk is to generate a return on one's money. Investors who spend an inordinate amount of time researching for a perfect investment opportunity, namely one that provides high returns with no risk, are on a fruitless pursuit. It's far better to spend time developing a strategy that provides a high probability of achieving an investor's financial objectives. This is done by clearly defining the investor's goals and risk profile, then outlining overall asset allocation and a sensible plan to get them there. Next is insisting on getting the perfect price. After agreeing to an investment strategy, sometimes investors are hesitant to implement it. They'll often say, I like what we discussed, but let's just keep an eye on the investments you've mentioned. When the market drops below a certain price, then give me a call and we can discuss moving forward. The past couple of years in particular are ripe for this type of conversation. Many investors understood that adding money into the stock market after it dropped more than 20% in 2022 was a good idea since the market was trading well below its highs. 
However, taking the plunge and actually adding money to the market proved difficult for many. It's human nature to want the best deal. However, waiting for the stock to trade at some arbitrary price often leaves the investor waiting indefinitely. If you have a prudent strategy in place, then waiting for the market to trade at certain levels is ill-advised. Moving forward immediately with your strategy is generally the right decision. Next is wanting to create the perfect portfolio. There's an infinite amount of literature on portfolio construction. Two investors with the same risk profile goals and time horizon may have different portfolios suggested to them by the different various firms. All those portfolios may be reasonable. In fact, the more one reads, learns, and researches, the more one concludes that there is no one correct way to invest in the market. There are only wrong ways. It is irresponsible to develop an over-concentration in any given stock, sector, or industry. Furthermore, allocating one's capital exclusively to illiquid investment vehicles or esoteric and unregulated opportunities is also not recommended for most investors. A far better approach to portfolio construction is to embrace diversification, liquidity, and plain vanilla investments. This philosophy won't protect the investor against all risk. No investment strategy could do that. However, simply doing what is prudent and often boring is usually extremely effective. Next is putting off saving until attaining an ideal career situation. When younger professionals approach me, I always encourage them to save as much as possible into their company's corporate retirement plan. My common retort is, I'm going to hold off on saving for retirement until I get better situated. My cash flow is the greatest now. I anticipate being able to save a lot more when I get promoted. This is the wrong mindset. When you are young with fewer responsibilities and financial commitments, it's generally the best time to save. Additionally, putting money away while you are early in your career allows those dollars to benefit from compound interest. Decades of letting that money grow can meaningfully benefit your financial future. Thankfully, many corporate retirement plans incorporate nudges that help employees seamlessly save more. These nudges include automatic enrollment and automatic escalation of the employee's contributions. Doing nothing and allowing these automations to work their magic is often the right decision. Next is holding off until you're in a comfortable life situation. The events in one's personal life are often another deterrent to getting started. Whether it's buying a home, going on a special vacation, sickness or death, there's always personal reasons to put your finances on the back burner. Unfortunately, the vicissitudes of life are constant. Holding off when your life normalizes is a recipe for inaction. Similar to the nudges built into corporate retirement plans, one can also build automations into their personal financial affairs by setting up small amounts of money to go into their investment accounts at regular intervals. The person probably won't miss the modest amount of money being siphoned into their investment portfolio, and even a very small dollar amount every month can slowly accumulate wealth. Furthermore, hiring an advisor is a wonderful way to help an investor move in the right direction no matter what hurdles lie in their way. And finally, and this is one that's very popular with tax professionals, it's refusing to act until you're in an optimal tax situation. Some sophisticated investors often stall on making decisions because of the tax ramifications. There's no shortage, there's no question that taxes are an integral part of any financial plan. However, investors should not become paralyzed because they may need to pay taxes. As I tell these clients, don't let the tax tail wave the investment dog. This is an example of focusing on the minutia instead of the big picture. 
Tax sensitive folks tend to wait for losses in their portfolio to offset gains before making any changes. Unfortunately, the requisite level of losses may never occur and continuing to hold undesirable positions as you wait may not be appropriate. Sensitivity to taxes can also manifest itself in portfolio construction. Certain investments are more tax efficient than others. It's important for investors to try putting tax inefficient investments into their tax-free Roth IRAs or tax-deferred accounts like a traditional IRA. Conversely, they should put tax efficient invest investments in their taxable accounts. This is the concept of understanding proper asset location. However, putting various investments into the right account doesn't always work out due to a client's goals and risk tolerance. In fact, it can make investing one's assets extremely cumbersome and difficult to manage. The potential tax savings is not always worth the headache and may cause the investor to get bogged down and lose sight of the big picture. We could draw parallels with the pursuit of perfection from the world of dating, where searching for the perfect mate can be a hopeless endeavor. Every person has flaws and no relationship comes without its wrinkles. <laughs> the key is finding a mate who is well-suited for you with all their imperfections and being willing to work towards your, goal, your common goals. Embracing this truth can ultimately, ultimately lead to courtship and successful marriage, while denying it may lead to years of unintended singlehood. The same is true for financial planning or really any other worthy endeavor. The simple act of acknowledging that no time is ideal and just getting the ball rolling is typically the biggest hurdle that one must overcome. It's far better to adjust over time than to do nothing at all. The reality is that procrastinating in search of perfection is a decision and it's usually the wrong one. Next, let's discuss the dangers of a kiddish club portfolio. In the world of personal finance, there are products and advice that are backwards or opposite of what is sensible. This sort of investment advice is often received in a casual setting from friends, possibly on the golf course or over a bowl of chalent at a kiddish. For those who are not familiar, a kiddish takes place after synagogue where folks eat and chat together in a casual manner. I found that some of the worst investment advice takes place at a kiddish when buddies are just catching up and shooting the breeze. Implementing these ideas that you hear into your portfolio will result in a hodgepodge of imprudent investment strategies, which I've coined the Kiddish Club portfolio. The Kiddish Club portfolio is often the result of social pressure from one's community and circle of friends. It's quite common for people to exhibit conformity bias where they behave, behave according to and make decisions based on what others around them deem acceptable. However, since every person's goals and financial situation are different, adapting your investment approach to be similar to that of your friends and family can be detrimental to achieving your personal financial goals. Furthermore, what people typically share with their friends are the investments that seem exciting, which generally translate to risky, risky investments that may make sense for a small group of institutional investors, but are not actually appropriate for the masses. I'll outline some examples of what is found in the Kiddish Club portfolio and why most investors should avoid them. The first is day trading. Day trading is gambling. When gambling at a casino, the deck is stacked against you. It's possible to win, however, the house holds an edge over the players. So the longer you play, the greater the odds that you will walk away a loser. Similarly, it's possible to get lucky day trading by buying a stock right before it skyrockets in price and then selling just before it falls. However, any long-term strategy that is trying to time when to go in and out of stocks will not succeed since short-term moves in the market are impossible to predict. 
On the other hand, the broad stock market indices tend to move up in value over the long term. Historically speaking, the longer your time horizon, the better your odds of experiencing positive results as a result, uh, as long as you're able to implement the prudent strategy and stay out of your own way. Day trading, gambling at the casino are forms of entertainment. Successful investing is not supposed to be entertaining. Using options. An option contract that gives the investor the right to buy or sell a financial product and the agreed upon price for a specific period of time. Options are available on numerous financial products, including stocks and ETFs. They're complicated and unnecessary to achieve your financial goals. Furthermore, few people can execute an option strategy successfully. You are not one of those people. The next one are, is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is not a business, has no cash flow, is not transparent, is illiquid, and it's a price is driven by pure speculation. Is it real or is it just an apparition? I'm not even sure how to classify it, but I can say that it's the definition of unbridled speculation and not a place to invest your family's next step. The next is private equity. PE funds typically invest in companies that are not publicly traded. Some common examples are venture capital and leveraged buyout funds. Most PE firms are exclusively open to high net worth investors. Though there is the potential for high returns, investors need to be comfortable parting with their money for an extended period of time, sometimes between five and 10 years while the strategy is implemented. In addition to the lack of liquidity and layers of fees, there's also the possibility that investments won't work out or substantially lag the public markets. Hedge funds. Hedge funds are actively managed pools of capital whose managers use a wide range of aggressive strategies to try to deliver outsized returns. This may include using borrowed money to make investments and trading more esoteric assets. There are thousands of hedge funds and each one should be evaluated based on their own merits. However, in recent years, hedge funds have been broadly criticized for their high fees and lackluster returns relative to the overall market. <clears throat> Real estate syndication. Real estate is a wonderful asset class with, each, with which many investors are familiar. One way to get exposure to this area of the market is through real estate syndication, where investors pool funds to purchase income-producing properties. The success of these types of deals depends on the location of the opportunity, type of property, management of the project, and experience of the deal manager. It's important for an investor to do their own due diligence of all those factors to increase their likelihood of success. This is also a friendly reminder that real estate investments frequently don't achieve their intended performance targets and may not outpace the U.S. stock market. Next one is hard money loans. A hard money loan is, a mo is money lent by an individual or company instead of a bank. They are known as a loan of last resort, often a short-term way for individuals to deny traditional financing to raise money quickly. These loans are much riskier than loans from traditional channels, and as a result, their yields are often much higher. Hard money loans generally rely on collateral rather than financial position of the applicant. Consequently, a default by the borrower may still result in a profitable transaction for the lender through collateral collection. Alternatively, it can leave the borrower, borrower defaulting on the loan and the lender owning an asset they do not wish to own that may drop significantly in price. Next one is initial public offerings or IPOs. An IPO is the process of offering shares of a private corporation to the public through a new stock issuance. There's a lot of excitement when a popular company comes to market, allowing investors to own shares of it. 
there's even more enthusiasm among those who can buy the stock before the general public. Unfortunately, all the exuberance creates a tendency to make bad decisions, such as purchasing a company without doing your own proper due diligence or short-term trading to try to lock in an immediate profit. These behaviors won't contribute to achieving long-term success. If you are fortunate enough to participate in an IPO, it's far more prudent to know what you own, why you own it, and to hold the company for the long term. When discussing leave up strategies with friends, it's common for folks to emphasize the sizzle and not the steak. Everybody will share the exciting features of these strategies and investments. However, few will share their overall successes and how it compared to a simple portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash. Instead of a kiddish club portfolio, focus on implementing the tried and true methods that drive one's ultimate financial success. This includes spending less than you make, investing your savings, utilizing boring, plain vanilla investments, and getting the overall asset allocation of your portfolio correct. At the end of the day, investing should be more similar to watching paint dry than a day at the racetrack. While the former is less likely to impress your friends, it does increase your probability of financial success. Okay, those are the talking points this week. And as a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, webinars, and all the other work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now let's jump into this week's financial questions. If you have a question, feel free to submit it to me at jonathan at shankmanwealth.com and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, first question. My rabbi told me, that I should prioritize paying yeshiva tuition over saving for retirement. Is he right? I get it. When you don't pay the full boat for yeshiva, you're depending on the generosity of others to pay for your kids. And that's fine. There are many, many people who are unable to make ends meet, and it's important that their kids can go to yeshiva. It is the responsibility of the community to make this happen. It's pretty unreasonable to benefit from others' generosity, however, if you are able to make payments and just choose not to. Sure, this may mean you need to work longer and retire later, but life is all about trade-offs. If sending to yeshiva is important to you, then you need to make sacrifices. If you want to send to yeshiva and be able to afford retirement, then other adjustments may be required. This may include moving to a cheaper locale, never going away, not going shopping for new clothes, not going out to eat, etc. In life, it's all about trade-offs, and they are not always easy. Next question, what's your definition of work-life balance? It's a myth. Everyone, everybody needs to make sacrifices and set their own priorities. This is similar to the answer about trade-offs, which I just mentioned. Make a list of things that are extremely important to you, then categorize them from most important to least. Cut the things that are not important and redirect your time to spend on activities that are important. Then do the best that you can. There's always some part of life that will suffer since you can't do everything and can't make everyone happy. Big companies like to discuss work-life balance. Like many things, large organizations say, it's a marketing ploy to get folks to take a job and then they will find a way to exploit you. Go in with eyes wide open and figure out what works best for your life and find a way to structure a situation that, that benefits you the most. The next question is, my husband wants to quit his high-paying tech job and start a laundromat business. My parents are totally against it, and I am finding it difficult to choose either of them. What should I do? This might come off a bit harsh, but you did ask, so I'm going to tell you like it is. 
You're married to your husband, not your parents. You're also an autonomous adult capable of evaluating decisions on your own. As long as you are not depending on your parents for financial support, then their opinion doesn't matter. So you should grow up and either support your husband's entrepreneurialism or tell him to get in tune with reality and keep working for the man until your family has fewer financial responsibilities. Next question, what's the secret to becoming wealthy? Either get lucky or spend less than you make and invest the difference prudently. Do that for a few decades and voila, you are now wealthy. Next question, with higher yields on cash, how does that change the way an investor should implement their asset allocation? It shouldn't change anything. First, we went from low yields on cash and low inflation to higher yields on cash and high inflation. Returns on cash will likely net out with inflation and you're still in the same place. Also, your time rising goals and ability to handle risk should be the key drivers of your asset allocation. It should not be the yields on cash. Cash will not outpace inflation over the long term and yields will likely come down meaningfully in the near term. You can spend your life chasing the latest investment that is in vogue for a few basis points on a money market account. Alternatively, you can come up with a rules-based approach to manage your money that will be far more impactful to your long-term goals. <clears throat> Next question, rebalancing my portfolio causes unwarranted taxable events. I don't get the benefit of rebalancing. Does it even make sense? The purpose of rebalancing are one, risk management, allows the investor to maintain the appropriate breakdown of stocks versus bonds versus cash in their portfolio that reflects their risk tolerance. And two, it allows you to systematically sell winners and invest in the losers, which may be winners in the future, i.e. sell high, buy low. It's also worth noting that systematic rebalancing is beneficial in both up and down markets. Last year, with the market plummeting, stocks fell more than bonds, and rebalancing allowed investors to increase their equity position before the market rebounded this year. In a year where the market skyrockets in value, like in 2021, stocks trounced bond performance Rebalancing helped mitigate risk in 2022 when the market crashed by minimizing equity exposure. In conclusion, I would not let the tax tail wave the investment dog, as I mentioned earlier, and I would use rebalancing within your strategy. Next question is an UTMA account or UTMA account versus a 529 account. Which one should I use for my kids? It depends on what your goals are. If you want to save your kids' college education, then a 529 is the vehicle to use given the tax benefits. If your goal is that your kids start life with some money, then the UTMA account is the way to go and they'll get that money at the age of majority. Many clients I work with utilize both, some just one or the other. It really just depends on your goals. Most of my assets are in different forms of real estate investments. I really like more liquidity in my finances. I spoke to my mortgage broker and given the nature of my assets, I can do a cash out refinance at 10% interest rate. Thoughts. My thought is that's a terrible idea. Wait it out or cut spending from other places to free up some cash. You did say that you'd like more liquidity, but you don't need it. The rate you mentioned is terrible, unless you got a quote from a loan shark, in which case you should explore other options. Borrowing in this environment is not optimal. This should also serve as a lesson to always keep more cash on hand and diversifying outside of real estate. I'm in the highest tax bracket and live in New York. Should I use a municipal money market fund for my cash or a federal federal money market fund? It's a pretty seamless, it's pretty seamless to calculate the taxable equivalent of your New York money market fund. Just pull up a calc 
calculator online and compare the current New York money market rate versus the federal money market rate. And you, you can input your tax rate there and see where you come out after taxes. Last time I looked, it, it, last time I looked this question up, um, the yield on uh, New York was much lower. Um, but if you're at the highest tax bracket compared to federal, you pretty much come out the same. Taxes are terrible, but I take solace in the fact that politicians are such good stewards of my money that I know it will all be put, put to good use. That's actually a joke. Okay, and that's it for the financial questions this week. Again, feel free to email me with questions you may have, and I might answer them in a future episode. Now for this week's quote, which is from Warren Buffett's longtime partner, Charlie Munger, who said, the first rule of compounding, never interrupted unnecessarily. I found that the biggest challenge with investing for most people is the need to interrupt, as Munger says, the compounding effect. They feel the need to cash out or switch up to other investments that may seem more exciting and so forth. The key to financial success is to pick a strategy that works for you and stick with it through thick and thin. That's the only way to fully participating in the compounding effect. Interestingly, while a house is objectively not a good investment, it generally represents the largest asset for many Americans. The reason for this is homeowners tend to stay in their houses, pay their mortgage, and don't move every few years. In other words, the compounding remains uninterrupted. If only investors have the same discipline when it comes to our stock portfolio that has the potential to have much larger returns than a home does, imagine how large that asset will grow to be. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make and invest the difference prudently and ignore all the noise. See you next time in Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.